This is Ned Ryan, and welcome to episode 43 of the Ned Ryan Podcast. So there are a lot of things to talk about today and wanted to address a variety of issues, primarily current event issues. The first one being, where are we at with this ridiculous impeachment process and what, what's going to ultimately happen? What's it all about? I know I've addressed some of this in the past, but just to bring you guys up to speed on where we're at, obviously it's now uh, the House impeached him. Again, neither impeachment of Donald Trump in the 13-month time period had anything to do with facts. Uh, it was all about trying to uh, punish Donald Trump, the outsider, for his daring to challenge the status quo, for daring, daring to challenge the administrative state, the ruling class, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So they impeached him again, right? Literally days before his administration's over. Now that impeachment is supposedly going to move ahead uh, in the Senate. Obviously, just the other day, uh, there was a vote about Rand Paul's um, measure to say this is not constitutional. It did pass barely because five Republican senators, the usual squish suspects, uh, all voted to uh, continue on. But that, but it also does show it was kind of a test vote to say to show who's really going to vote for impeachment and who's uh, a conviction or not. Again, remember House impeaches, Senate convicts and removes. Although again, Trump's no longer in office. So what are you trying to do? Well, there are a couple of things. First of all, warning shot. Second of all, if they can vote to convict, you know, hopefully they're trying to disqualify him from future attempts to run for office, et cetera, et cetera. Memo, not going to happen because, again, this vote on Rand Paul's issue was only, uh, measure was only voted, um, five Republicans voted with the Democrats. They were Ben Sass, uh, Mitch, uh, Mitt, Mitt Romney, Pat Toomey, Lisa Murkowski, and Susan Collins. Which tells you that, again, they, they would have needed, they need 17 Republicans to vote for conviction to reach 67 votes. Not going to happen, right? They're, they're 12 votes short of that. But I'm a big proponent of actually moving ahead with this trial uh, for a variety of reasons. One, obviously, to give Trump the ability to completely blow up with real facts uh, the bogus narrative that somehow he incited some insurrection. First of all, he did not incite it. Look at the actual video and his actual words. And there, this was not an insurrection. I'm sorry. It was some people that are really stupid. Uh, there was a blend of uh, Antifa. We know that because some have been arrested. Uh, some really stupid people and some otherwise gullible people who, quite frankly, had no idea what was going on uh, and, and should have had the better sense to not actually be in the U.S. Capitol that, that, that day, January 6th. So not an insurrection. So my hope is that they will ha- move ahead with the trial. Trump can have this conversation about, first of all, the timeline proves everything wrong that you claimed I said, you know, you claimed I, I did, did not incite, no insurrection. But also, let's, let's remember why this all started. The, January 6th, there was a rally in D.C. with Trump speaking to question was the vote in 2020 legitimate. This trial could be an opportunity for Trump to actually lay out his case as to why he does not think uh, that this election was completely above boards. It was not. And I, ho- I hope you guys obviously listened to my last episode about Zuckerberg Center for Tech and Civic Life. I wrote an op-ed about that at uh, American Greatness. 
you know, it was it was it was the big rig. You can call it whatever you want to, but it was definitely not a free and fair election. It was not a level playing field. There was definitely cheating involved, uh, in which people really bent the rules, ignored the rules, ignored the laws, quite frankly, to achieve what they did in 2020. So absolutely Donald Trump has a legitimate reason to complain, argue, protest uh, the 2020 elections. And that's why, again, we are American majority, which I run, is going to be involved in electoral integrity between now and 2022. There are literally 19 reform items that should be addressed by the various state legislatures, but even county clerks and and. Every, everybody that has anything to do with any elections in any state that need to be addressed. Things need to be tightened up. Legislators need to know their, their, what they have the ability and right to do. So a lot of things need to be done. That all to say, going back to the Senate trial, I hope it moves ahead. I hope that people have the real opportunity to see the facts laid out uh, by Trump and his team to blow up the false narrative about incitement to insurrection also about the election. So that's that's really kind of that's a little bit of my take on where we're at with the Senate uh, trial. On an overarching theme, though, I, I want you guys to understand that this is also the whole. First of all, the Russian collusion conspiracy theory, the Ukrainian hoax impeachment, this impeachment. It really is a warning to any outsider in the future that dares to think I will challenge the status quo. Right, that I would dare to come in and say this isn't working. And, you know, as much as some people might have been offended by Trump's tweets or some of his behavior, the basic premise of Donald Trump was this I don't believe that the American government, system of government, is actually working to benefit the American people as a whole, right? Government of, by, and for the people, which is meant to advance and protect the interests of the American people, especially the American worker and the American taxpayer, our system of government is no longer serving us. It is serving a very small segment of society, uh, ruling class, their cronies, to benefit them. And that's, that's what Donald Trump said. I, I don't believe this is how it's supposed to work. That's the, the radical idea. You know, some, uh, this is seditious. This is undemocratic. This is, he's a fascist. Well, of course, they're doing that to delegitimize the basic premise, because if we actually have a discussion about what's actually taking place in D.C., the American people are actually going to realize, and again, a lot of them did, 74 million, are going to agree with Donald Trump that we have a real problem. Uh, we have a very big problem right now in this country in which we left behind uh, a lot of the ideals of our founding, how it's supposed to work. And I'm going to I'm going to talk about some of that because I want to talk then as we move through. Uh, to the next subject about moving past the impeachment trial, uh, some of the things that Biden did on his first day in office. And, you know, welcome to the imperial presidency of Joe Biden. 37 executive orders in about one week, which is deeply ironic. Again, understand these guys are, if they didn't have double standards, they wouldn't have standards at all. I don't know who I'm quoting, but somebody else has said that. But this is very true of Biden, the Democrats, the left, the media who screamed bloody murder and I think actually filed lawsuits against every one of Donald Trump's executive orders and claimed it's undemocratic, this is not how it's supposed to work, and then Biden goes out and literally sets a record. I think between Clinton, Bush, Obama, and Trump, uh, Biden's executive orders in the first week 
beat all of them combined and not just beat them, but maybe doubled them. It's some, some staggering figure, but all the presidents combined before Biden in week one, um, you know, in the first part of the administration, Biden beat all of them combined, right? So please spare me the hypocrisy and the lies about how somehow, you know, executive orders are in defiance of democracy and we're never going to do that. And all of a sudden you turn around to 37 in the first week. What was interesting to me is some of the dynamics about some of the executive orders that he addressed uh, and what he did. First of all, outlawing uh, and, and suspending the Keystone Pipeline, which, again, I have to tell you that, and I tweeted something like this out the other day, how those who voted for Biden, who endorsed Biden, are, were very badly abused by Biden on day one. For example, the uh, pipe fitters union that endorsed Joe Biden. Guess who really got it stuck to them by Biden's executive order dealing with Keystone Pipeline? The pipe fitters union, right? So voting against their own best interests, right? So really happy that, uh, you know, you endorsed that guy that took away your jobs. Good for you. One of Biden's other first moves was in regards to the issue of transgender High school athletes, right? Biological males now can go into and compete on high school girls. Athletic teams can go into girls' locker rooms. You know, my, my initial thought was, dear suburban moms who found Trump icky, who couldn't stand his tweets and thought, oh, this is intolerable as they're sitting there drinking their cheap cake bread Chardonnay, uh, I hope you're really proud of what you've done to your, your daughter's future athletic careers now that they're actually going to have to compete against biological males. And also those suburban wives who shamed their husbands into voting for Biden instead of Trump, you know, just slow clapping you. You know, good for you. I, I, you must, it, it really must be a triumph for you that now you no longer have to deal with the, you know, big, bad orange man's mean tweets as you've absolutely annihilated your daughter's athletic ambitions. You know, go buy another case. No, you know what? Go buy two cases of cake bread Chardonnay when it re- when you fully realize what you've done. And again, slow clapping you. One of the other things that Biden's working on, in fact, addressed was uh, overturning the Mexico City language, but also they're going after the Hyde Amendment. All you need to know about Mexico City and Hyde is that it's there. There've been prohibitions for using uh, foreign aid overseas to be able to fund abortions. Right, that's what Mexico City language dealt with. My dad was involved in in pushing that and making that, helping that pass uh, when he was in Congress. So Biden wants to undo that, and they also want to undo the Hyde Amendment, which again prohibits uh, the federal funding of abortions. The evangelicals that struggled mindfully because, oh, Donald Trump is just, uh, he's, he's not a very moral person, whatever, whatever the heck their arguments were, which were all stupid, by the way. Uh, wow, I'm glad we got through that moral crisis for you when, when you just, you struggled so much with the big bad orange man being in the White House and, you know, you're pearl clutching. I'm glad you know, we've moved through that and you've been able to survive so that now your tax de- taxpayer dollars can be used to murder babies. Whew, glad we got through that situation, you fools. 
one of the things that Biden also did on the first day was uh, un- undo the 1776 commission, of which I am an official commissioner. The absolute visceral reaction was pretty amazing, actually, to me. Uh, we had to really cram on getting the 1776 report done. Kudos to Matt Spaulding, handful of others that really drafted the report and obviously had feedback from us. A few thoughts, a few insights, a few changes for us to be able to release the 1776 report on Martin Luther King Day before the Trump administration ended. The point of the 1776 commission was for us to be able to go and in a very thoughtful, realistic way, address the issue of how do we teach in public schools who we are as a people? Patriotism, the founders, the American Republic, what they envisioned. And that was the whole point. That's Trump, again, started this uh, announced this on Constitution Day, September 17th of this last year. And the idea was for us to be able to go and really have, really address the un-American indoctrination that's taking place in our public school systems. But also, let's have an honest conversation. What did they intend? What, what, what was their goal? What was their vision? Are they still legitimate? Right? Is the founder's vision still legitimate for us as a country in the 21st century? Of course, I would say yes, absolutely. And... Of course, Biden's going to outlaw on day one. I mean, I, I knew he's going to do it probably I, if we lasted a month or two. That was going to be amazing. Thought there might be higher priorities instead of outlawing the 1776 commission on day one. But any progressive who believes in the administrative state is going to view uh, 1776 commission as a threat. Because if anything even remotely is taught in public schools to younger generations about what our founders actually believed, how our government was to work, how the republic was constructed, how the machinery was put in place for very specific reasons. If people are actually taught that, they might actually get a sneaking suspicion that what is taking place in this country has nothing to do with our constitutional republic as envisioned by the American founders. So, of course, Joe Biden and you know, his, his leftist handlers, because, again, I, Biden is, in my mind, semi-senile. When he said counterfactual, when he, when he actually said on TV a couple of days ago that the 1776 commission is counterfactual, I'm like, ooh, that's a big word for a semi-senile man. But, of course, he was reading off a teleprompter. That all to say, th- this, is, this is the rub, right? That the progressive administrative state. This is regime politics. That's why it's become so heated. And I've made this point on a variety of other fronts, whether it's been on TV, op-eds, etc. The reason that it's become so vicious and the tension has truly broken to the surface is because it is regime politics that you see taking place in DC right now. On one side, administrative state governing philosophy, in which you truly believe, those that advance it and, and believe in that philosophy, believe that you should consolidate power into the all-powerful state to advance progress, right? That's the, that's the gist, and I'll explain more, but that's kind of the gist of the progressive's administrative state. Consolidate power into the hands of the enlightened, educated elite to be able to advance society. With the constitutional republic approach, obviously power is to be diffused. There, there, there's a need for government, right? James, as James Madison so famously said, we're no angels If we essentially, and I'm paraphrasing, if we were angels, there'd be no need for government. 
But we're not angels, so there's a need for government. What does that government look like, though? And again, I know I've said this, but I'll remind people again, the beauty of the founders and what they really put in place is that they understood human nature, right? They understood that we are imperfect human beings in an imperfect world. And, And my newest piece at American Greatness is going to address this. And I would encourage you to ask yourself this question, are you good? And, and when I ask, are you good, not just every now and then, right? Because I think we are all capable of, and I say this, we're all capable of great good. We are incapable of sustained good. So ask yourself, are you good 100% of the time in every situation, no matter the temptations, no matter the length and duration of time, right? From beginning to end of your life, are you good? And if you say yes, you're lying, right? And I have thousands of years of empirical evidence to back me up. Human beings often do what they can, not what they should, right? We're not good, right? We're imperfect human beings in an imperfect world. And you don't even have to believe, as I do, of, of what, what Scripture teaches us and the redemption story of Christ, but you have to accept in this world the empirical evidence that we are not good. The founders understood this. They understood that... Imperfect human beings should never be trusted with consolidated power. Again, we do what we can, not what we should when left to our own devices. So how do you construct the machinery of a government, realizing you're dealing with very imperfect human beings, at the same time also understanding that every man and woman was endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness? How do you protect those rights in forming this government? That's what they came up with. Right? That's the, that is the basis and the foundational philosophy, philosophical foundation of our republic. Human beings should never be trusted with consolidated power. Therefore, the diffusion of power. Right? In the federal government, it's the executive, legislative, judicial, and also the belief in federalism. Literally, that all powers that are not clearly enumerated as to be the right of the federal government are to be diffused down to the various state governments. That really frustrated the progressives. Again, the progressive movement arising 1895 to 1920 is kind of the first wave of progressivism. Obviously, the second wave was FDR. third wave was LBJ. Their idea was, first of all, they were deeply frustrated, deeply frustrated by this whole idea of separation of powers, diffusion of power, uh, because they believed it was very messy, right? And if you're going to advance society... You actually have to start consolidating power. And you can see, you can go back and read Woodrow Wilson, some of the early progressives who deeply resented the founders and their original intent. Therefore, you have to do away with the machinery of the republic. And again, not to go off on too much of a rabbit trail, but this is one of the reasons I address the issue of rights and a bill of rights in my book, Restoring a Republic. Where do your rights come from? What, who, you know, who, who gives them to you? Obviously not government. What's the purpose of government? The government is to protect and take away none of your rights. Do you actually need an enumerated Bill of Rights? That was the great debate, obviously, between George Mason, James Madison, Alexander Hamilton. Mason wanted one. Hamilton and Madison didn't because, and I'll tell you why, not because they didn't believe in rights. They absolutely believed in rights, Hamilton and Madison. But they believed that the construction of the machinery of the republic, that diffusion of power, interests set against interests, would not allow a government to become too powerful to take away and abuse the inherent natural rights that we are guaranteed. Therefore, why do you have to have an enumerated Bill of Rights? In fact, Hamilton's argument in the Federalist Papers was if you have an enumerated Bill of Rights, you might leave some of the rights off. You know, that's why you have the Ninth Amendment, right? That if any rights are not clearly stated, they are understood to exist. 
the, so the, the, the thing that the progressives did is they broke down the machinery of the republic, right? You can't have the machinery of the republic as the founders originally intended if you're going to try and consolidate power. It's the antithesis of the constitutional republic. That's why the tension you see today, progressive, first of all, progressives got it completely wrong on human nature. They trusted themselves. They trusted human nature. And they believed that putting a lot of power into the hands of the enlightened, uh, educated elite would somehow lead to progress because they, re- they were deeply and dangerously naive about who they were, but also about who human beings are. That's why you have today. That's why Donald Trump, right? That, that's why this whole, you, you see the abuse of the administrative state and abuse of, of the state against the duly elected president of the United States, right? And that's why when Donald Trump showed up and said, I'm going to drain the swamp, the administrative state struck back, right? With this ridiculous Russian collusion conspiracy theory, abuse of the DOJ, abuse of the FBI, abuse of the surveillance states, because somebody showed up and said, hmm, yeah, I don't accept the premise for this form of government. And I'm not sure Trump would have said it that way, but that really is uh, uh, the essence of what he was doing and saying is, I don't, I don't accept the premise of this form of government. And the administrative state struck back, right? So that's why you see this whole regime politics. It really is two very different governing philosophies. And I would actually argue it's really not much of a fight right now because the administrative state is winning out, right? What, what the progressives set in motion 100 years ago, the administrative state, has been hollowing out the original intent of the Constitutional Republic as envisioned by the founders for the last century. And it's been winning, right? You still use the same terms, right? A constitution, you know, all of a republic, a democracy. It's not really a democracy. It's a democratic republic, constitutional republic, in which is a form of democracy. But you see a lot of these same terms being used, but the essence has completely changed into what our form of government actually is. In which, quite frankly... Our elected officials, partly because of their own cowardice and weakness, have abdicated a lot of the governance of this country to the managerial class of the administrative state, right? They're not even really holding them accountable because the real power actually lies with the administrative state, not with our elected officials. Again, look what happened. Duly elected president of the United States up against these unelected bureaucrats who have extremely powerful Uh, departments and bureaus uh, striking back against him. This was nothing, it was pure sedition in my mind of what actually took place, whether it was with Comey or Brennan or Clapper. Unelected bureaucrats, powerful bureaucrats defying the will of the American people and getting away with it, quite frankly. I don't think that I, you know, I was of the opinion, sadly, that John Durham and Bill Barr might actually bring to account some of these actors uh, I would say my thinking on that has completely changed over the last six months, and I will be stunned, absolutely stunned, if any of those powerful players are ever brought to account and ever face justice, which is a shame. But that tells you how far we've gone. That's why I say this whole regime politics, to say it's a struggle is a bit of a stretch because it's very one-sided at this point. And so that's one of the things I wanted to do, looping back to where I started. This is why the 1776 Commission... If the American people fully understood what the founders intended, they would never put up with this. But this is what the progressives have been trying to do. They've been trying to delegitimize the founders for the last hundred years. I mean, Woodrow Wilson to today. And, you know, honestly, one of the things they've been doing is critical race theory, 
right? Again, if you go back, it's really just Vladimir Lenin, his general philosophy, but it's through the, the lens of race. And critical race theory essentially says, you know, if you believe in, the, in that, that there have been, let, let, for example, if the founders were racists and bigots, anything that they formed and created, the Constitution and any, anything that stems from that, well, if you look through the race of, you know, the, the lens of critical race theory, therefore you, if you feel that you've been oppressed, can actually look at these things and go, we choose to accept or not accept any of this as legitimate or not, right? That's, that's what they've been going. So that's why you always hear them say, well, you know, the founders are a bunch of white, racist slaveholders. Go, go read the Constitutional Convention debates about slavery. I write about some of this in my book. And you'll begin to understand, were they perfect? No, of course they made mistakes, right? The founders were not perfect men. They, they were not demigods that were somehow half divine. Very intelligent men, very learned men who understood what they were up against. Again, that conundrum. How do you actually take imperfect humanity, protect their rights, their God-given rights, but keep power diffused? And how do you create a new republic? Well, that's why we're the pinnacle of Western civilization, because they were able to actually, in an imperfect world, put together what I believe is truly the best form of government ever invented by man. So that's why they want to delegitimize the founders, though, because if you can delegitimize the founders, you delegitimize the Declaration, you delegitimize the Constitution, but more importantly, you can actually call into question and dismiss anything that stems from that, right? Whether it's the, the separation of powers, the diffusion of powers, anything that stems from the Constitution, which stemmed from the, from the founders, can then be looked at and, and you can choose to accept or reject it based off critical race theory. That's why they're pushing it. That's why the 1619 Project, right? 1619 Project, the basic premise is that we are founded, this country was founded upon slavery. And... You know, that, that, that <laughs> what's her name, Nicole Hannah-Jones or whatever her name is, the one that came up with the 1619 Project, you know, made the outrageous claim that even a lot of the leftist fact-checkers for the 1619 Project said you should remove this because it delegitimizes the entire 1619 Project, that the founders actually fought the revolution to protect slavery. I mean, that's ridiculous. They didn't do that. So, but that's why the 1619 Project, that's why the New York Times is actually foisted this insidious fiction upon us because they all want to actually go after the founders constitution as the founders intended especially the separation of powers because it is very frustrating to them because you cannot achieve what they want to fully with the administrative state if these people are still considered legitimate and anything that they did was considered legitimate so you know that was one of the conversations we had wanted to have with the 1776 uh, commission we got the report out. Obviously, Biden uh, abolished the 1776 commission. My hope is that there will actually be some work done by us, by the commissioners, perhaps a curriculum, but for sure a series of conversations, perhaps panels. I know American Greatness is going to do a series of articles on it. I, I will tell you this. People have asked me, you know, where can we find a printed edition copy of the 1776 report? Uh, it looks like Encounter Books. Roger Kimball and Encounter Books will be doing a printed copy of the 1776 report. Roger told me hopefully in February, if not February, March. And it really will be, uh, you know, a nice, the, the report's not very long. I think totals maybe 40 some pages with, you know, citations, annotations, appendix, all that. It, it, was, it was kind of a rush job, right? Trying to get it out before the administration ended to at least have a shot across the bow. This, this will be a more polished product. So that all to say, when it's actually available for purchase, 
Uh, I'll probably talk about it on the podcast. I'll probably tweet it out, Facebook it, et cetera, et cetera. So be on the lookout for that. Last thing, last thing I'll touch on in this episode is people have asked, you know, what are you doing about electoral reform project? It's moving along, folks. There, there are other organizations that will be working alongside of us. Obviously, some of the stuff we're going to keep under wraps, but we're going to be rolling out some of our training materials with American Majority in March. And there, there are definitely reform items that need to happen, right? Obviously, you got to outlaw things like Center for Tech and Civic Life. you got to have stricter... Uh, observer statutes. You've got to look at how uh, absentee ballots work. You've got to work, look at removing the whole entire idea of universal mail-in ballots. You've got to go look at um, county clerks cleaning up their voter rolls, right? Dirty data leads to dirty elections, so you got to do that. So we're rolling some of that out uh, in March, and my hope is that people will understand, get a better understanding of what actually took place in 2020, understand that it's incumbent upon all of us. If you're a concerned citizen, it's incumbent upon all of us to actually do something, right? You either have to lobby your elected officials. You might actually have to run for office. You might actually be involved in the communication and promotion of, you know, the educational material of, like, people. You need to understand. This was highly suspect what took place. A lot of rules were bent, ignored. State constitutions were ignored. Uh, and, and coronavirus was used as the excuse in some ways. And now they're now that we're <laughs> now that we're going to be moving past coronavirus being useful, uh, they're going to with HR one right. One of the first bills that Nancy Pelosi she did promote and push in, in the House was trying to now make permanent some of those things they used that they used in 2020 using coronavirus as an excuse. Now they're going to try and entrench it into law. That's the dangerous part, right? They use coronavirus as an excuse. They did it in 2020. I, I think they realized we don't have any excuses. We need to quickly make this into law before the next election so that we continue and, and seek and get to. That's the whole point. They want to get to one-party rule and rig the elections in such a way that it looks like free and fair elections when, in fact, it's not. And, and that's something that uh, we're going to have to be fighting for the next 18 months to get us back. Because I'm telling you, if we can get back to where I truly believe we have free and fair elections and we get rid of some of this nonsense that they used in 2020, um, there's going to be a, a you know judgment in 2022, not only on squishes like Liz Cheney and those nine other Republicans that voted for impeachment, but some of these Republicans that voted, you know, again, only a couple of them are up, uh, their seats are up in 2022, but really cracking down on this and going and saying, we're not going to put up with this. All of your craziness, the Biden administration's craziness, if we can take back the House uh, and and the Senate in 2022, uh, we can really mitigate some of the madness that has taken place with the Biden administration. But you've got to, first of all, make sure the playing field is a level one. And that's our goal. So I hope you guys enjoy this podcast. And I think in the next episode... What I want to talk about, again, is some of the 2020 elections, but also but some of the successes that we actually did have uh, at the state and local level.